This is RangerCast Episode 5, SPD Retrospective. This is RangerCast. I'm Tyler, better known as Rito Volto, and I am joined by Lamar. Hey, everyone. Happy to be here. And Tori. Hey, everybody. All right. Let's get down to it. Um, right after we uh, recorded last episode, we learned of an upcoming news dump. We got Hasbro PulseCon having an online panel, as they've been doing online, not in person. PulseCon, I don't think there has been in-person PulseCon. Uh, September 30th, promising, according to a social post, quote, exclusive content, news, reveals, and some more phenomenal guests. Now, they're not saying, you know, Entertainment One, they're not using some of the you know, words that would definitely explicitly indicate that we're going to get show news. But the implication is we're going to get short show news. Uh, what are y'all hoping for? Um, for me, I'm really hoping for more information about the Lightning Collection. There's been a lot of stuff that's been announced, but none of it's actually been kind of coming overseas yet. Uh, so something along those lines, especially when it comes to uh, the Lightning Collection Silver Ranger from In Space, just because that one has been super hard to track down. Um, additionally, some more one-shots uh, for the Power Rangers comics would be great, because there are so many different stories we'd like to see continuations for. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to uh, some comic stuff later. Um, how, about, how about you, Tori? What do you want to hear from Hasbro? Uh, yeah, if it's mostly in the line of toys, um, I guess I'd like to hear more about like the upcoming Zords uh, beyond the Dragon Zord, if they'll maybe be announcing like a Titanus or anything like that. Um, yeah, new Lightning Collection figures. Really, I'm not sure what else I can expect from Hasbro yeah. at this point. Yeah, the the, the uh, Zord Ascension project line has a lot of promise. Um, I think the problem with a lot of the Bandai stuff is it doesn't hasn't yet met that like. Uh, that heft you'd expect from the old, I think we talked about this before, the the diecast heft of the old uh, the old Bandai uh, legacy products. Um, so I'm looking I'm looking forward to see if we get any toy announcements. But I think I think there might be some corporate politics involved in why we didn't get the suits at Power Morphicon. Um, and I think I think kind of we were going back and forth in our reactions to that announcement. Why wouldn't they have the suits of Power Morphicon if, you know, they were just suits from Japan? Uh, but we're kind of getting spitballing and conjecture, and we'll know what we know when we get to know it. Yeah, for sure. It's possible that the actual season they'll be adapting is still in flux and to be determined, and that's why? That's the I'm, only legitimate reason. I'm not, I'm not sure, because a while back, the stunt team Instagrammed and deleted um you know post a story post about them working on the morph sequence for next season so whatever whatever like they were like sketching it out you know what have you so whatever um like whatever is in the plans has been in the plans for a while oh true they can definitely have the set like the plans and the general outline but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to exactly match with the the footage you know if you think about it like the morphing sequences or Lost Galaxy don't really match the Sentai. Really nothing with Lost Galaxy matches the Sentai. They just had a general idea. Right, right, that's true. But, like, the general, like, aesthetic, like, you couldn't do, uh, you know, regardless of what the tone of the actual season is, you couldn't do the same kind of morph sequence for, you know, the Ryu Soldier suits compared to the Ninja suits. But then again, the morph sequence, they toss the Ryu Soldier morph sequence out the window. So, what do we know? Mm -hmm. 
Do we think it's possible at all that um, since they've been so coy about what the next season they're going to be adapting is, despite mm. giving us a general theme, uh, could this be the transition to original footage? We literally don't know. Um, you know, we don't know what, if any, arrangement has been made with Toy as to this this new season. It could be a a do two situation for all we know, or it could be, you know, weird kind of season three situation where they're still using the Zord footage. Um, you know, we I don't want to I don't want to jump the gun too much, but uh, anything can happen. I think that if if it weren't a toy thing, if it, it weren't working with toy, you wouldn't see the Reed Soldier insignia in the logo. I mean, that's what I think. But what do I know about you know the current state of the contracts and all that? Right, and also contract or copyright law is a really tricky thing, especially when it comes to adaptations. Right, right, right. But it, it's like, you know, there's a whole lot of of mystery around exactly you know what the plan is for Cosmic Fury beyond, you know, we know who's writing it, we know who's writing it, we know who's in it, and we know the name, we've seen a logo, we heard a bit of theme, or at least what is the theme. Everything could be changed, change it, we don't know. Um, but uh, anything, anything ultimately is possible. Now, speaking of the Sun Team's Instagram, according to uh, their, most, their most recent story from them, they're, they are back at it down in Auckland. The cast is not there yet, um, but they're back at it. Uh, I'm not sure when principal photography is going to start. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's really, um, it, it's a ball in the air type situation. Um, I don't know if they're really under any sort of specific guidelines due to the move to Netflix. It's possible that with the state of the franchise being in such flux um, with the move to Netflix and with the Cosmic Fury announcement and also with the One Entertainment, um, you know, uh, confusions, they're really, they could just be laying the groundworks that way when all the ink dries, then they're going to be able to hit the groundwork. Okay, so uh, moving on to comics news. The uh, Death Ranger one-shot is getting a second printing. Um, I have not read it. In fact, I didn't know it existed. I've been kind of you know, not great, but Power Rangers, But it was a part of one-shot in Power Rangers Unlimited. Uh, the new uh, printing will be available October 5th with new cover art by Dan Mora. Uh, for those who also don't remember it, uh, the one-shot was written by Paul Allor, who also wrote psychopath along with artist kath lobo and anna chandra uh anna chandra also uh did the art for countdown to ruin number one and uh the uh couple of the colors have also worked on power rangers so um for those who also forget what it was about that that one shot was about a mysterious and deadly ranger uh whose unearthly secret might spell doom for everyone in the morphing grid um so that is coming back to retailers on October 5th. And in other comics news, we got the first look from Boom Studios of the Megazord Pack Collection, which is a compilation of key issues from the comics, uh, you know, going back to the first appearance of Draken, Shattered Grid, Ranger Slayer. Uh, all five include new variant covers by Kayla Valerio uh, that are exclusive to this set. She also worked on that one shot uh, about uh, Death Ranger. So the uh, pack includes Mighty Morphin number one, Mighty Morphin number nine, Mighty, excuse me, I should probably restate, restate that Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number one, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number nine. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 25, Go-Go number 1, and Go-Go number 8. Um, so that hits uh, September 21st, uh, this week's new comic book day, as we record this. And the other, uh, not really news, but more of a reminder, uh, the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 100, the special oversized celebratory issue, drops the 28th. So that's going to be a heck of a week. 
for Power Rangers. You got 100 on the 28th. You got the backstretch of Dino Fury on the 29th. You got Hasbro Pulse Con on the 30th. We are going to be eating well, folks. Oh, for sure. Um, and it's so inspiring to see that there's investment in the franchise and that they're really not going to let it die. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you hope that Boom gets to keep the uh, license. Well, for sure. I mean, I mean obviously I think, you are. You obviously are. Um, I mean, what Boom has been doing with the franchise is clearly their best work at non-under um, 10s demographic that we've gotten really ever in Power Rangers. Um, so it's definitely something that if they want the franchise to continue, they need to keep it going with Boom. Yeah, and I mean, they just hired Melissa Flores, so they're not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm sad to say I'm a little behind on the storylines on the comics just because the Death Ranger issue was kind of delayed coming to my store. Like it only just came in this week. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're kind of capping things with this run uh, issue 100 here. I will admit I'm a little confused though about this upcoming Megazord pack. Um, one, I, I think that title is a little weird because i don't feel like the yeah. issues they've highlighted are like megazord focus necessarily well, no it's like a, like it think really of it like a think of like a greatest hits yeah i mean i i also see what tori is saying because megazord pack also like at first i was thinking oh yeah. they're making like figures of megazords yeah well what would be a better name for the you know, greatest hits you know com uh collection of the comics I mean, Greatest Hits itself isn't bad, and I forget what they called that Rangers, uh, the Ranger DVD they had released around Wild Force that was just like That's high the Power Rangers, the Ultimate Rangers. But, okay, the one that was like yeah, highlights of the first ten seasons or so. Yeah, yeah, or I, Megazord Focus. There's there's plenty of names. Yeah, 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 um, and. Heck, even just like a variant collection, collector's edition, anything like that. And since, like, it seems like that's really the selling point with these is the pretty awesome new cover art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, com completion is out there. I'm definitely going to get it. But also, you know, people who want to, you know, see some of those moments, like the first appearance of Draken and all that, because um, those are pretty pivotal moments in the history of Power Rangers comics and arguably in the history of Power Rangers, even if they've never actually been in the show it's more of a showcase of what the comics can do no definitely uh the comics have been doing so much in bringing in their own lore as well it's almost its own thing separate from the shows now yeah yeah um but yeah you know all this is happening around the time issue 100 is coming out and i think that it's probably you know good time for them to uh, to dig those issues out of the stacks and show them people who might miss them because these comics, you know, going on a few years now. It's easy to uh, for especially newer arrivals to the series to miss some of these things. Um, especially, I know for me, I tend towards digital, so there's really nothing out on the Kindle edition of a comic. However, uh, Tori was saying that um, Tori collects a lot of. The, uh, the the physical copies, right? Uh, yeah, I have every physical copy first printing so far. Uh, I don't really collect variant covers, but yeah, I've been kind of a completionist in that regard. Yeah, yeah. All right, so moving on, we don't we don't usually talk a lot of actor news because a lot of these actors are working actors, or they're not working actors. If they're not working actors, we definitely don't talk about them. Uh, but um, you know, we, if, if it's unusual, we'll talk about it. And here's something unusual. Karen Ashley, I don't think has done, you know, a lot of anime. She's randomly popping up in, uh, the anime, The Slime Diaries, which uh, I believe is going to be on Toonami, um, or is on Toonami, I should say. Uh, so that, that's cool. But also, uh, you know, kind of follows Campbell Cooley, like one of it's random, like, you know, he lives in Auckland, but also kind of randomly pops into the U.S. and do, does some anime. Uh, he he uh, recently booked a part in The Fruit of Evolution. Uh, I'm not sure if that's aired. I don't keep track of that. But also in, in really unusual act news, 
Johnny Bosch wasn't a PMC, not just because he had gotten a car wreck uh, about a week or so prior, and we hope he's doing well, but he's also been canceling other cons because he's been filming at Arkansas, he said this week on social, with Harvey Keitel and Dolph Lundgren. You know, good for him. I know he hasn't done, you know, a lot of on-camera, so he's pivoting more to anime, but he's done a little bit. Um, but that's, that's a hell of a thing. You know, good for him. I don't know anything about the movie. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear this for both of them. Uh, I, I think it's kind of funny, that given their season in particular, that uh, Karen Ashley is now the one moving toward anime, and now we have Johnny in more live-action work. Um, I, I've always been surprised more Rangers didn't take off in like the voice acting and anime circles. Uh, like, I, I think Johnny Young Bosch is an amazing voice actor. I was just surprised they never like found that talent, apparently, among the others. Uh, yeah. And I think they certainly had potential. A lot of the other cast members. Yeah, I, I think sure. the big thing that that Johnny has on screen is charisma. But you know, like he, uh, you know, voice acting it's a living. That's one way to use that charisma. But it's like you look at him in Once a Ranger, and he's like as Power Rangers goes, commanding presence. I mean, all the ADR work they're doing, uh, whenever you know they're filming over the suit uh, products, that's exactly voice acting. So you think that with the amount of experience they got, and especially for the Zordon era folks who have more than one season under their belts, uh, each one of them uh, have at least enough experience to, to kind of book them some more gigs. So it's good to see, uh, honestly, for both of them. Um, really, my wife and I, we try and, and look out for any former Ranger and give them a little bump if we can. Uh, we just finished season one of Ghosts, uh, starring Rose yeah. McIver, and that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and you know Aaron Cahill. You know, there's a thread on the uh, Power Just subreddit. You know, asking, uh, you know, if there are any you know, Power Rangers alumni who are legitimately famous. I mean, you could cheat and say Brian Cranston, but there are others who are. Uh, I mean, I think the the qualifier they they put is like besides RPM because you have multiple people from that season who went on to do mm. big things. Um, but it's like the gimme is Brian Cranston. But you have other people like Aaron Cahill who who make a real good living, you know, doing the things they do. I know, absolutely. Um, RPM definitely seems like that's the season. Um, well, and also Time Force. Those are the two big seasons where they really invested in their actors. And honestly, I think it shows. Yeah, well, also Time Force, you had the benefit of two people in the cast who, you know, were already big deals. Um, in the late Edward Orange, Albert, and of course, Vernon Wells, who, and they, you know, they didn't, they, like, they didn't, you know, just treat it like a paycheck. Like, the, the effort was clear in their performance. They weren't phoning it in. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, I, Vernon Wells clearly, is mostly a Mad Max guy, but he doesn't seem to be shying away from or pretending like he was never in Power Rangers. And he even right. came back for the Wild Horse crossover, which my wife and I are watching now for our workout show. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a massive ham, and he'll, he won't turn down an opportunity to be a massive ham. I mean, you know, this guy worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger. you got to be ham for that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Here's a word from some friends of the show. So you want to hear people talk about Japanese cartoons. You know, anime. But you think the other anime podcasters just aren't nerdy enough? Sounds like you need to join forces with the Anime World Order. Where each week, three self-proclaimed experts offer you reviews. Of titles both new and classic, news and commentary. Rants, convention reports, interviews with fandom. And some hentai and yaoi for good measure. So search for anime in the iTunes Music Store. Or visit our website at AnimeWorldOrder.com. Anime World Order, revealing the truth about anime, one podcast at a time. And we are back, and uh, time for some token news. So, um, now the big news I took uh, Toronto National Film Festival, you know, besides all the Don't Worry Darling drama and um, and everybody, you know, appreciating Brendan Fraser, which is great, which is great. Uh, the other uh, stuff happening behind the scenes uh at toronto national film festival is shin ultraman is being shopped a company called the exchange acquired the western uh sales rights that is north america europe 
maybe Western is probably the right word. You know, it's kind of colonialist. North America, Europe, Latin America, Australia, New Zealand, and other remaining territories for this for Shin Ultraman, which uh, made a whole bunch of money in Japan in May, and the exchange is trying to sell it uh, up in Toronto. So the movie uh, in Japan grossed $31.2 million. It was directed by Shinji Higuchi, who directed The Floating Castle and Attack on Titan, um, and was written by a name that's a little more familiar uh, to American fans, Hideaki Anno, who uh, made Shin Godzilla and, of course, is best known for Neon Genesis Evangelion. I believe he's also making Shin, Shin Kamen Rider as well. Um, and uh, Anno was also a producer on the project. The movie stars Hidetoshi Nishijima, who was in the uh, Academy Award-winning movie Drive My Car. Uh, there are also some other actors who people eh, more into the stu- into Japanese actors might know. So the movie I'm reading from Variety here: uh, the appearance of kaiju has become commonplace in Japan, like it wasn't already. Conventional weapons have no effect on them. We knew that. Uh, so the Japanese government issues the S-Class Species Suppression Protocol and formed an enforcement unit. And this team of scientists, physicists, and special agents copes with the ongoing threat of S-Class species until a silver giant appears from beyond Earth's atmosphere. And what else do you call it but Ultraman? So um, I'm really excited to see, you know, what happens with this movie. Like what kind of, you know, does it go theatrical at all? Like maybe a fathom event sort of thing. Um, but I just think it's uh, it's great to see Ultraman potentially getting this kind of attention in the West. Uh, continuing on for the anime and all that. Yeah, I'm really hoping this at least makes it to the major theater chains. Like, I don't feel like I saw Shin Godzilla get a ton of buzz around me, but that could just be Iowa. But yeah, like I'm really hoping I can use this as a springboard to getting at least my Godzilla fan friends into more toku uh just since like if i can sell them on shin godzilla since that's like kind of the perfect godzilla movie hopefully i can have them make that leap to shin ultraman maybe shin common rider a year after that and have them start digging into some of the better toku they have out there yeah i mean as somebody who's primarily more godzilla fan than the rest of those franchises um this is actually something that I'd be interested in looking into. Um, my wife and I loved Shin Godzilla, you know, the more serious take on it and the more realistic take on it. So I'd be interested to see what they do with an Ultraman or with a Kamen Rider. Um, and maybe hope someday, hopefully, they'll do a, a Shin Super Sentai. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the other uh, news coming out of the Toku world, it kind of, not, not at a tiff, but it's going to be in another festival called Fantastic Fest, um, it's an American movie, uh, really an indie movie called Ike Boys. It's about a couple of uh, friends obsessed with Japanese culture who themselves become superheroes and have to fight giant monsters to save the city on New Year's Eve. So, you know, it's all kind of like no-name actors, cheesy special effects, but it seems like it's got a lot of heart. Uh, have you, you guys have seen the trailer, right? Yeah, I've been sharing that trailer around just because like, yeah. I saw that and it, it's not often but, yeah. that I watch a trailer and think, oh my gosh, someone made this movie specifically for me. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, like I think it looks incredible. I think it's using like a lot of those things we love about Toku, like kind of um, supplementing the cheesy special effects with some really high quality animation to like just give that movie more of a visual pop to it. So yeah, just kind of using both cheap effects and then more expensive, uh, more expensive techniques that are more traditional to Japan to make the best kind of Toku project. Yeah. And uh, this is, I take back what I said about no names. I forgot that Billy Zane is in it, which is cool. Um, so it makes, it's going to be an official selection of fantastic fest and it has its world premiere on September 26th. So I'm really, really excited to see what happens with that. And a little, little blurb here in the end of our token news segment, common writer Kuga Blu-rays are arriving. If you pre-ordered it through shout, you are also getting a poster. Mine arrived late last week. Um, I haven't gotten to watch it cause I've been traveling. I've been busy. But, uh, you know, so, you know, that's coming out and 
five man DVDs are here and Abba Ranger. I forgot to mention Abba Ranger when I was putting together this rundown. That is a the Sentai series that is close to my heart, and I cannot wait. I got I still actually know exactly where to find the old the Hong Kong set of you know poorly subtitled episodes like the first batch of episodes of Abba Ranger. That was the first Sentai I ever you know watched, and I cannot wait and i am just i like i yeah i mean i'm i'm stoked um i think somebody mentioned when i uh you know tweeted from the ranger cast account that it sounded like i personally wrote that tweet because i am i am personally that excited yeah no definitely um shout factory has been doing a lot more of those um oh gosh the uh, Super Sentai's and bringing it over to America. Now, one day I'd love it if they were able to get like the Power Rangers cast to voice over like any dubbing for the Super Sentai. I thought that would that would be a, a neat little crossover. Um, but yeah, no, it's great that more of the stuff that we're familiar with, but we don't know the story behind it, is becoming more available. Yeah, and I th I think you know Ab Ab Ranger. I, th I feel like there's a lot of love for Ab Ranger in the fandom. Uh, you know, especially since that's the one that, in a weird way, Power Rangers fans have a, a fair bit of exposure to because, uh, you know, there was a monster from a really unadaptable episode, and what they ended up doing was the episode Lost and Found Translation, and that was just bonkers. There were even more bonkers stuff they could not use in the episode, uh, and I remember watching the episode, like, just my mind was being blown by the stuff that the absolute madcap stuff that Abba Ranger was doing. And it's like, it's even more zany than Sentai sometimes is today. Um, but I think, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of love for Abba Ranger out there. And it is really kind of milestone Sentai. Uh, and then you have Decker Ranger, which might, I guess, given the pattern, maybe it'll be the, the set released after the next one, but it's great that uh, that shout is picking up right where they left off. Yeah, and I wanted to circle back to the Common uh, Rider Kuga Blu-ray release coming mm -hmm. out. Um, while I have to confess I'm not a huge Kuga fan, like I've tried to watch it, and like I sampled just a lot of Common Rider from over the years to see what was good, uh, and. Kuga's just kind of got that typical episodic toku flair we expect, but like jumping from old, uh, old, uh, he say stuff to, uh, I'm totally forgetting my errors here. I uh, can, can I get a reminder? Hey, Showa, he say, Rewa. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, comparing it to some of the stuff from the Showa era that was like much more practical effect focused to jumping over to Kuga where it's like, yeah, we have these terrible computer effects and they're going to be front and center and no, we're not going to put them in the shadows to try and make them look less awful. Uh, but like my personal <laughs> distaste for Kuga aside, I'm pretty excited for this because uh, the uh, Kuga manga is also going to be getting an American adaptation. I believe that's what's being released, not a new comic like what Zero One is getting. Um, but like anytime I see something like this that's getting some seeds planted in the U.S., of like, okay, this isn't where Common Rider Kuga is now going to hit the masses, but this gives just that wing of the fandom a way that like, okay, this is your thing. You can, you know, like now here's Kuga for you. Here's the show in America. Here's a comic that's like giving you the kind of darker, more palatable manga adaptation. So people don't have to just rely on terrible fan subs and fan translations anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think, you know, like Power Rangers fans, at the end of the month, I think Toku fans are eating well right now, especially how we're getting the manga and stuff over here and the comics that we, uh, we talked about an episode or two ago. But since you uh, mentioned Deca Ranger just a second ago, do we want to move on to our discussion of the week? You know, I think we do. So, uh, in our internal Discord, we talk about you know potential topics. Uh, you know, for one, it's a dry week, and we don't have any new episodes to discuss. And it's a dry week, and we don't have any new episodes to discuss. So we decided that we're going to uh, do some appreciation of of. SPD, which remains, and I, I was actually really 
pleasantly surprised at Power Morphicon to see how how crowded the SPD panel was, not just on stage, because you have like 50 people up there, but also the audience still love uh, this series. And it did a lot of things that were unique for the show at the time. And some of the influence uh, hung around long after uh, the EP responsible for its production design was gone. And I feel like just even though a show like SPD probably wouldn't be made today uh, because of the way that society has changed, I, I think that it's a show that that has aged really well um, on the strength of its story, on the strength of its practical effects. And um, I think uh, I'm to reflect, Omar, what, what were your favorite moments about SPD? So SPD, for starters, had an absolutely stellar cast. Um, nobody was in there who didn't seem like they belonged. Um, you know, this was the start for some of the, the bigger uh, names in the franchise. Obviously, uh, first among them, uh, John Toohey, and then also Kelson Henderson. Um, they did an amazing job with the set work and the costuming, which they don't always put that much effort into. So I was pleasantly surprised to see it. Um, my wife, who's a cosplayer, is like, ooh, I'd love to make those SPD uniforms at some point. Um, you know, the the Ranger suits themselves, maybe not so great, especially the A-Squad paintball uniforms. Um, some of the story beats it felt a little bit more contrived. Um, you know, I, I absolutely understand not wanting Jack to be the leader, or not wanting uh, Sky to be the leader. Jack seemed just as irresponsible as Sky, so maybe Z might have been a better call as Red Ranger, but I also understand they want to try and match the footage. Um, let's see here. What else? I, th I think arguably that did match the footage, though. Because Hoji I... was always the one with the stick up his butt. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm completely unfamiliar with the Sentai adaptations mm -hmm. to it. So, um, uh, but yeah, no, uh, they did some some really good work. The um, <laughs> the headpiece for Anubis Kruger was so much better than the Japanese version that I've seen, which just looks like it was made out of paper mache in a couple hours. Um, it looked like as a Muppet. To yeah. A, yeah, yeah. Um, it definitely some really interesting story beats. The end part, um, spoilers for a twenty-year-old season. Oh, go uh, ahead. But the end, yeah, the the end parts with that giant, what was it? The one thing, the eyeball monster creature, that just felt like it completely undercut all the emotional drama that had been building between, um, you know, the main antagonist and Kruger, but. Hey, it it is what it is. Um, I get that sometimes they just want to end things with a big bang rather than a, a more emotional, tight battle. Even though that's technically what they did do after they did the big battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I th but I, I think, you know, especially now we've gotten a bit of a, a look behind the curtain at panels over the years. I, I really have a new appreciation for how much of the show resulted from a battle between um between the showrunners especially greg and dis and disney higher-ups uh, or between the showrunners and disney standards and practices like there there they were like they had to like there were so many old monster suits and and costumes and mooks uh reused to fill out the world of spd uh, and stretch that dollar, and I think it worked because you know you, you felt like New Tech City could be a real place, um, and it was fun also for fans to spot these these Easter eggs, these parts of costumes from from seasons past, and it was amazing that some of those costumes and parts still existed given you know, the auction uh, that took place a couple of years prior and the fact that production had moved to New Zealand, you, you wouldn't think that 
you know, this stuff would even be saved from like time force. Yeah. I'll always remember SPD is uh, kind of my swan song with power Rangers for a number of years since like mm-hmm. I was exposed to mighty Morphin at literally the age of one and I was born in 93. So I kind of aged with the power Rangers. Um, and yeah, like once Disney took over with uh, Ninja Storm and Dino Thunder, like we kind of started to see them grow with the audience once again, like on uh, on the Power Trip podcast, they talk about how Rangers has this tendency to grow with its audience, but there's usually that reset uh, every time it changes hands. Like Ninja Storm is a bit more young focused than some of the like Time Force or something. Uh, but like, I feel like SPD was just that natural progression and that return to a more traditional team after like the smaller uh, starting teams and Dino Thunder and Ninja Storm. And yeah, as you've mentioned, like the setting of SPD is just really incredible. Like it has everything you want in a Power Rangers season, like a good, unique premise for the Rangers themselves, an interesting world, cool supporting characters. Uh like it just feels like there's so much you can see in this season that you won't see in other seasons. And so like, I felt like it was a pretty good one to go out on as a kid. Like I got yeah. the toys realized I was kind of getting too old for power Rangers and let this be the last one. I think it's clear, you know, despite the fact that like, I think you know, in DECA Muppet Kruger totally worked for the aesthetic. They were going for everything. It worked. And Greg is talking about how he loved the idea, but didn't like the design. Uh, so he worked to keep the silhouette, but, you know, fleshed it out a bit more and make, made it look more like something he would do. And I think it's, um, I think so much of his craftsmanship, and not, maybe not necessarily animatronics, but his art style, um, let, seemed to leave its mark on the people he worked with. And you, you know, you go forward, a year, um, uh, you know, to like Phineas, for example, or, or, you know, Flurius, and you know, these characters that he didn't work on, but had prosthetics and what have you that, that are more like things that Greg would make. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, the, the level of effort in the craftsmanship, I'd say, also, um, bears, uh, noting just because. For a lot of these shows, you could definitely tell when they were like, like, you know what, we're just trying to sell toys, put in $5 worth of effort, and call it a day. They didn't do that this season. And I think that's one of the reasons why SPD is stuck as a fan favorite and why SPD figured so prominently in the Shattered Grid crisis in the comics. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Doggy, it was great to... To see Doggy again, even if only in comics. Uh, and that's a character that people still have a lot of affection for. Yeah, I actually just really got to blow one of my friends away since, yeah, that Shadow Ranger was his favorite ranger growing up. So uh, as his moving gift, as he got more room to display action figures, finally, that was, uh, I managed to track down that SPD or the, the Shadow Figure Lightning collection figure. And, like, it's fun seeing that, like, that is the season that when people come to my place and see Rangers all around, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember watching SPD growing up. Like, it gets a lot of random mentions from, like, even casual fans. Yeah, and that Doggy Kruger figure is nice. Like, I think when Hasbro went to Doggy Kruger early in the life of the, the, uh, the Lightning Collection, I'm like, wow, that's a big swing because trying to get the head right, but they got the head right. They haven't always gotten the head right. Um, there have been a couple of the SPD uh, Rangers, like Bridge, for example, where the head is nowhere near. Um, <laughs> but it's always a bit of crapshoot. But I, I, I think it was when I saw Doggy's head that I realized they were trying to do this uh, as seriously as possible. Yeah, no, and I'd say honestly, it worked. Um, they still had, had their comic relief uh, with Boom and obviously with Bridge to the to the greatest mm-hmm. extent, but they also still have their serious moments. Um, Kruger's story definitely was more on the serious side. Um, Sky's backstory and his relationship with Jack, I'd say, also was one of the more serious notes, and just kind of seeing right. these characters change and develop. 
because I mean, not every season uh, Rangers don't develop every season. Um, yeah. So seeing multiple Rangers develop in a season is actually quite encouraging. Yeah, when they couldn't afford, when Disney told them they couldn't afford an actor for Omega, uh, they grafted a lot of the um, a lot of uh, Decca Breaks backstory um, onto um, onto Sky, and you know the the, the you know the result uh, is you know, you know because they grafted Tetsu's backstory onto him. Uh, he got a lot like Sky got a lot of focus episodes, whereas I think Sid maybe got one or two. Z only got a couple. I think the Sam two parter being the most notable. Um, but Chris Phil- Chris Villette is such a strong actor. He made a two parter like reflection work out fantastically. Yeah, no, definitely, and there are definitely some. Blue Rangers who, it, you know, had they had this amount of focus, would not have been able to, to handle it as well. Uh, the Red Ranger, generally, you want to be the best actor in the season just because, you know, they're going to be getting a lot of the focus episodes. And some, uh, you know, of the non-Red Rangers don't really get much of any focus, uh, especially in a team the size of, what it was, it, like seven or eight Rangers, nine if we count Nova. Um so yeah, having somebody who can, you know, who's not the lead, but who can handle these more expansive episodes, that's uh, definitely a mark in favor of the casting department on that one. Yeah, and you know, to go, you know, talk about Nova. You know, one of the things Power Rangers was up against, I guess not so much anymore because the way that, you know, timetables have shifted is they, you know, toy, they get the tapes and they get the tapes. And they didn't know about Nova um, you know, about Deca Bright until like the last batch of tapes and they'd already written the finale and we're like, well, dang, I guess we have to stuff her in there. And, you know, she's only there for like, you know, two scenes and that's it because that's all we could really do with her. Um, and, you know, the, the fights with Disney, uh, Greg was talking about one of them, well, more than one of them, uh, at Power Morphicon where he, was adamant that uh, the Rangers, um, you know, be part of like be cadets rather than fully formed Rangers, because that gives them somewhere to grow, somewhere to aspire, something to aspire to, rather than knowing everything out the jump, because kids can't relate to that. You know, it's more relatable if you have them, you know, learning, making mistakes, breaking stuff. I mean, hell, um, even adults yeah. can't really relate to that. <laughs> I say, right. as a, as a fully grown adult, I don't have all the answers. That's right. I, like the academy wasn't really a concept in Decca Ranger, but it was it was uh, it was built into SPD the concept of them training while also defending the city. A fight he lost, however, um, and it's kind of jokes about having lost it. Uh, was with the team up um, or team ups, where in um, history he thought that the Dino Gems could and would be used to make clones of uh, the core three Dino Thunder Rangers, uh, rather than you know bring them you know through time, and you know, Disney said, "Oh, kids won't understand clones." And five minutes later. Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon hits, and you know all the kids know what a clone is. Yeah, wasn't it actually Attack of the Clones was two thousand two, and SPD was two thousand five. So I mean that that even further establishes that like they should absolutely know. Yeah, but that doesn't mean Disney knows they know, Mm. or you know the people who who, you the people who live in a who you know live under a rock who make these decisions. But I think you know there are things that back that contemporary that you around the time the show was airing that we clowned on that have kind of faded into the mirror and into the rearview mirror, uh, and things that I think uh, are really worth appreciating about SPD, like like oddly enough the the way that it 
knew when and when not to pull directly from the Sentai. I think one of every, I think if, if you ask somebody, you know, what their favorite episode of SPD is, it's possible that they're going to answer Idol, which is practically scene for scene a remake of a Decker Ranger episode, and it works perfectly. Absolutely, and even with uh, characters which I assume are relatively different from their Japanese counterparts. Yeah, yeah, but it's like you know the the backstory for you know that given for for um, you know the counterpart to Drew in that episode. Um, you know mm-hmm. all that you know the relationship. I think the assassination attempt memory serves like all that is practically pulled directly from from Decker Ranger, and it still works perfectly, whereas there are aspects of Decker Ranger that would not work at all in SPD, like uh, Umiko, Decker Pink's uh, bubble baths. But it's like, you like being judicious in what you pull and how. And I think that that's something that later seasons, particularly Samurai, uh, didn't quite understand how and when to do. Yeah, well, I mean, Samurai was also a rush job uh spd does not give that impression at all yeah yeah though again they, they were kind of like a, you know being produced almost in parallel uh to deca so they kind of they did have kind of a rough task uh before them hmm. so like they introduced grum not totally knowing if deca ranger would give them a lead villain and uh, you know, it turned out that really Decker Ranger was just a progression of Mercs. Yeah, uh, wasn't the main villain in um, the Japanese footage the the bat? Yes, Agent uh, Aburera. Uh, but he wasn't really like he was like, you know, he he was just like he was hiring these people, but mm. not like you know. He wasn't really, you know, some kind of overarching threat. Um, you know, he's like the equivalent of kind of like a mob boss kind of. It's been a while since I've watched Decca. Um But it didn't have an equivalent to Grum. Um, and it also gave them, you know, some place to, like, places to drop hints uh, for things like Isenia, for the Magnificence. I think Idol is the first place where we hear the Magnificence referred to by name, but don't really know that it's something being referred to by name. I, I'm not remembering. Uh, the Magnificence was... Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yes, that was the... Yep, that was the, the big thing at the end. Yeah, it's a bit confusing, but that was Omni, uh, who okay. was puppeteering from essentially the whole time. Um, but Isinia, you know, another battle with Disney was... They weren't able to afford Isenia, so Greg spent Christmas break building her. <laughs> that's yeah, why her that mouth didn't move right. so much. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, especially as we near, you know, 2025, uh, there are no aliens in the Power Rangers universe yet. Well, there, are no, there aren't a lot of aliens in the Power Rangers universe yet. Peggy is definitely one. But uh, Cosmic Fury does potentially uh, present the opportunity to revisit that concept or revisit that world, so to speak. What, if anything, you know, what do you think you know, is possible we could or, or sure that you want to see uh, revisited about SPD if this is truly it for the continuity as we know it? So on my end, I definitely do want them to keep SPD uh, as part of the mainline continuity. Uh, they've got a few different alternate universes that they've established are, you know, RPMs and alternate universe dino charges. I'd like to see SPD stay as part of the mainline universe, which would mean then Power Rangers, they're going to need to st- at the very least explain why one city has a lot of... Um, aliens living in it on Earth. Um, maybe they could just say that's a specific to New Tech City, and the rest of Earth is not like that. Um, you know, that it's a kind of a, you know, just a, a one city type thing. Kind of like a um, Men in Black port of entry sort of thing? 
Yeah, or like the um, the non-bond trade ports from medieval Japanese history, which obviously mm. they don't want to reference that directly. Um, right, yeah. Because, you know, you don't understand 16th century Japanese history, but, you know. I mean, that may, that, I mean who doesn't? Who doesn't? But, yeah, Tori, so <laughs> what do you want to see about SPD, you know, revisited, if possible, before, you know, as hinted, uh, the current continuity ends. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I'm not really sure myself uh, how I'd like to see them handle this. I mean, I'm always pretty partial to like the multiple timelines kind of thing, like this just being one of many potential futures. Um, and, and since like the end of the continuity is kind of coming up here, yeah, I, like I'd really like to let them still have this as their. Uh, uh, like have this kind of be where the Power Rangers are headed, or like that's our immediate future. Um, if nothing else, I would absolutely take just some kind of throwaway line about how he uh, like changed the year numbering system over the next couple uh, years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's like you know before the show, it was kind of like not clear whether it would take place in twenty twenty five or twenty one twenty five. But the old regime, like. Melissa Flores and and um, Jason Bischoff kind of had 2025 marked in the calendars. They just never got around, got to stick around to uh, oversee how that's handled. But uh, but yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, we see some kind of reference. Obviously, the prosthetics and all that aren't around. You know, John Tui is working in the states, so I'm not sure you know, how much really could be done. But that doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know put Kelson Henderson in a jumpsuit and you know have have the Rangers run into boom or something. Anything's possible. All right, so um we are going to be ready for whatever comes out of Hasbro Pulse Con next week. We're also going to be talking uh in our next episode about the first batch of uh, the backstretch of Dino Fury, as well as issue 100. There's going to be a lot to get into, and we can't wait to get into it with you. All right, until next time, everybody. See you. Have a good one. For more, find us at RangerCast.net or in your favorite podcast app. Be sure to review us in Apple Podcasts and leave your feedback for us on Facebook, Twitter, or through our website's voicemail. The opening theme is by Daniel Park. The ending theme is by me. RangerCast is distributed under Creative Commons. Share it, don't sell it. Abba, 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 ninja.